electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another ugly day in the markets. Yesterday, stocks turned around right about at this time. Today looks to be a different story, although we are off the lows. We've got panic about COVID in China, concern over Russia cutting off European gas supplies. Deutsche now says the recession they fear looks like it could be even worse than previously thought. We've got all the latest. Plus, some are calling for recession while others are saying the Fed still isn't tightening enough. Why the economic news this morning has some calling for the Fed to be even more hawkish. And earnings, they're not terrible, but they're not exactly helping either, especially these NASDAQ names. The NASDAQ's down 3% today as Google and Microsoft get set to report tonight. Both stocks having their worst month in years. Let's begin with the latest on these losses we are seeing. Dom Chu has the numbers. So we're now below where we were yesterday at the lows. So that kind of gives you an idea of just how things have developed over the course of the last 24 to 36 hours. If you look at the Dow Industrials right now, down 453. That's dramatic. Now, to give you an idea, at the lows of the session, we were down roughly 574 points for that blue chip index. The S&P 500, 42.28, the last trade, they're off 1.5%. And the real outsized decliner, Maybe no surprise here. The volatility is more intense with the NASDAQ composite. Now, at the lows of the day, we were down 425 points or thereabouts to give you an idea. So, yes, tilted towards the low end, but still a lot more focus on that NASDAQ composite trade. And by the way, if you're wondering what the lows were for this past move over the last year, the 52-week low, that would be 12555 to give you an idea of where we are versus the lows of the entire year so far. One bright spot in energy today. If you take a look at those stocks, far and away the best performing sector, one of only two in the green, utilities being the other. But the spider sector uh, ETF is up about 2.5% today. Meanwhile, WTI crude is up 3%, rebounding after yesterday's sell-off tied to concerns about China's economy, COVID lockdowns there. So that's the reason why you're seeing crude higher above $100 for benchmark U.S. prices now. If you look at the big tech trade, Kelly pointed out this idea that we are hyper-focused right now on what's going to happen with Alphabet, the parent company of Google, also with Microsoft, both reporting after the bell today. Semiconductors now over the last week down 6%. Software overall as an ETF format down about 8%. And then internet-related stocks down 11 in just one week alone to highlight some of the real weak spots within that tech trade. And if you are looking for a bright spot from a stock-specific story perspective, check out what's happening with Sherwin-Williams, the big paint and coatings provider. It is up 10% in trading right now. Yes, the best-performing stock in the entire S&P 500. Sherwin-Williams comes up before the open today, reports better-than-expected profits, better-than-expected revenues, and makes some interesting commentary, Kelly, that they think that the worst of the supply chain issues may be behind us. So watch those Sherwin-Williams shares up about 9% over the last year, just about flat. Kel, back over to I you. think that's perhaps the most underplayed but significant story of the day, Dom. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, and we'll see you soon, our Dom Chu. Now, the Nasdaq, obviously the biggest laggard today, and we have some key tech earnings that could help determine the future of the market. My next guest is a buyer of at least one of the big tech stocks here. Joining me is Alan Boomer. He's chief investment officer at Momentum Advisors. 
Alan, welcome. What do you make overall of the market weakness? First of all, thanks for having me. It's a really difficult market right now. You know, we, I think really the Fed is the driving factor. We've got, I think, pretty decent earnings. I know, you know, it's mixed, but when I look at about 20% of the companies that have reported so far, I'm seeing about 70% or more have actually surprised to the upside on earnings, and more than half of those companies have surprised to the upside on revenue. That's really strong. But again, the Fed, with its hawkish tone, with its threats of a half a point or maybe three quarters of a point rate hike in the future, that's really weighing on the market. You know, the Fed's got a really difficult balancing act to try to fight inflation while make sure that, making sure that, that growth doesn't slow down too much. And I think that's really the overarching tone in the market today. Yeah. And even to that point, you're still looking at a stock like Google and thinking it's a decent time to buy. Why not wait? Why not wait it out a little bit? Yeah, I mean, here's what my take is, right? Like, we're in the midst of earnings season. We know that Google's reporting today, and a lot of the tech earnings have not been great. Like, Netflix is sort of the, you know, the, the, the one stock that folks are looking to and saying, look, we expect tech earnings to be bad. I would suggest that folks think about each company individually. Don't just lump everything together because it's got a similar sort of technology bent. Uh, Google, I think, is going to really benefit from all of the bad stuff that's going on with Meta in the sense that, you know, folks who would normally be spending advertising dollars on places like Meta will, will likely go to Google for now mm -hmm. until all of the privacy things change. And so I, I expect Google's earnings to be good this quarter. And I, I think Google also has the, the benefit of being a company where the, the share price has been relatively stable. Earnings have been earnings growth has been relatively stable. And I think investors are going to look at a, a stock like Google and say this is a pretty safe play. So what would your parting words of advice, Alan, be to investors who say, OK, maybe there's some tactical opportunities like a Google. But overall, do I need to hustle to get into this market, which is down 11 percent, let's call it, off of the all time highs for the S&P? Or are we in the middle of a minus 20 percent move where I could see a better entry point? Yeah, I'd say be patient, you know, maybe pick your spots, buy a little now, buy a little tomorrow. You know, inflation is so high that you, if you decide to just sit in cash, sit on the sideline, you're really losing money today. And the inflation environment really encourages risk taking. It encourages us to invest in stocks. And I think that over the long term, stocks will be the place to go. But in the short run, in these next 90 days, it's going to be a little bit of a rough ride. So just buckle up. Yeah, even even since Dom said we were off the lows, we are heading back down towards them. Uh, we're getting kind of used to this. Alan, great to have you today. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you. Alan Boomer. Now, as this sell-off continues, are the charts giving us any clues as to what might come next? Let's bring in Carter Worth. He's market strategist at Worth Charting. Carter, you warned us about your, your queasiness about these markets the last time we saw you. So what do you, first of all, what, what gives with the action from Friday's terrible sell-off to yesterday's complete turnaround and now today a resumption of a, what looks like a pretty broad-based decline? Right. In a way, it's the volatility that's the issue. And it's also every third day we get that rebound, which is to say hope is still alive. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it means you never really get the cathartic sell-off. You never get the capitulatory type um, conclusion. And so let's take the small caps. I mean, Russell Tooth has been in and out of a bear market, however you want to define that, 20%. It's not about that. It's the equities have been topping for quite some time. And we also have, and I think this is important, a bifurcated market. And the history of bifurcated markets is not good. So think about this. We have extreme strength in 
certain stocks, certain areas of the market. Think about how strong energy has been, materials, steel, aluminum, uh, precious metals, consumer staples, utilities, all up, up and to the right. And the exact same time we've had extreme weakness in biotech just gets worse and technology and semis uh, and retailers. And so when you have a spread like that, there is the thought that the strong stocks have it right, that energy is leading the way and that uh, the material stocks are right and the weak ones will start to bottom. But bifurcation actually ends the opposite way. The strong start to crack. We're seeing that now. Metals in mining are cracking. Energy is cracking. A lot of the steep run-up in certain stables is starting to give way. And the weak get worse. And so we're starting to see that kind of unfolding. I think there's more uh, downside. There's more stress ahead. And um, it's just a time to postpone most all new buying. Yeah, well, I don't really like this message. You know, this is a very, <laughs> this is a very difficult one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, free choice. Everyone can do what they want. But I mean, there is there are some times where you can just maybe you know, we do have expressions in the English, like let the dust settle, right, or just stand aside. I think that's a moment like this. It's interesting what you say about leadership, though, because definitely people have been looking to the market and saying, OK, fine, if I stay away from, you know, high P.E. tech, you know, the overall market's held up fine. If I get into energy, if I get into some of those ports that you mentioned, maybe I can ride this out. What would your uh, sort of I don't want to say advice, but the way that you look at the setups here, could that this dynamic be changing somewhat? Well, so, I mean, I'm the playbook, right, if you can call it that, on page one says, obviously, you go defensive. And there are people who don't have a choice, right? You are, by mandate, fully invested. You're running a fund. You can't hold cash. And so it's not random that Coke is doing well. It's not random that Walmart is holding up certain, uh, to extent, a large extent, so that the defensive trade is always there. Um, but then it gets to when you do have a choice, do you have to? And you were asking that just uh, the prior guest, do you have to put money into Google right here? This is actually a time, I think, where you should avoid the temptation to say, I've got to get in, I've got to do something. Sometimes sitting on your hands is really the best thing. You know, it's different from last cycle, where for that kind of 10-year period, while the Fed was doing QE and the economy was quite weak, we kept getting these um, sell-offs, these dips that were so short, and then the rips would be so extreme that it was almost like if you didn't buy the day that stocks bottomed, and who knows at the time, you would miss the 5% move before you knew it. Why is now different? Right. And so it, it, it depends on what, whether you're in a bull or bear phase, right? So if you're in a long and protracted ascent, and we've been in, in a, it depends how many years you want to measure it, dips are counter trend moves in an ongoing uptrend. But see, the question now is, are we still in an uptrend? You know, Dow theory, and this is important, right, which goes back 100 plus years, the MSA all country transportation index, it peaked on May 10th. That's almost a year ago, meaning it's never confirmed the move since then in the rest of the global equity market, which is to say, and it's a long answer, I don't think we're in an uptrend. And so then the counter trend moves are these up moves which should be faded. Uh, and buying the dip is wrong. So last question, is this a time frame that people need to wait it out? Is it contingent on what the Fed does here? What kind of gets us to the end of this downtrend? Well, you bring up maybe the most salient point of all, it is about time. And so um, could it be that after the great excess of the past two years, it's been a very impressive move since the COVID low, whether it's government induced or not, but it's been impressive. Is this now this stall, this churn, simply the pause that refreshes, or is it more of the, the stall before the storm we roll over? Let's say we don't know, let's hold that aside. Either way, I would say 90% of the odds are captured in sideways or down. 
that 10% only is that we somehow go higher from here. All right. Well, I really appreciate it. I mean, sort of, you know, but I do because uh, <laughs> Thanks for having me. A, a more cosmic sense of what's going on here is helpful, especially on days like this. Carter, we appreciate it. Carter Worth from Worth Charting. Now, while all of this is going on, we actually have a bond market news alert. Those two-year notes went up for auction and those yields are well off their highs. Let's get to Rick Santelli for the results. Rick? Yes, yields are well off their highs. That's why I wouldn't have gambled. This wouldn't have been a great auction. And boy, was I wrong. A plus on these 48 billion two-year notes. They were literally fighting for these. 48 billion two-year notes with a yield at the Dutch auction of 2.585, well below where the one issued market was trading. So right off the bat, it priced aggressively. And if you look at every metric, the bid to cover well above the 10 auction average. Indirect bidders, well above the 10 auction average. 21.4% directs, well above 10 auction average. But the one that just jumps out is only 12.6% go to dealers because so much went to the direct and indirect bidders. That happens to be below my smallest amount on my 20-year tail of auction data, which means I don't have anything small. I don't have any instance where the dealers took less, which means it was aggressive. If you look at a chart, two-year note yields and three-year note yields dropped, but longer-dated treasuries hardly moved at all. And that's very important because the two-year notes are going to be pegged to around two and a half to two and three-quarter percent somewhere, but the rest of the curve can still sell off pushing yields higher, and that's quite evident by how the markets have acted after the good auction results. Kelly, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you very much. A really standout auction. Uh, we appreciate it. Now to Deutsche Bank, which is the first firm that was calling for a recession. They're now saying this downturn will be even more severe because of elevated inflation levels. The latest data kind of show the conundrum. New home sales dropped for a third straight month in March as the spring buying season kicked off. But orders of durable goods, those big ticket items, rebounded last month. There was some really decent strength in that report. And consumer confidence, while dipping in April, still remained relatively high. Uh, or at least indicating economic expansion. Joining us now is Kathy Busjancic. She's the chief U.S. economist at Oxford Economics. Kathy, I don't think you guys have a recession call, but you do acknowledge the risks are rising into next year. I mean, why is it when we talk about this, people go, all right, well, fine, you know, a year from now, anything could happen. But there's a very specific reason why people are concerned this is going to end in a downturn next year. Yeah, thanks, Ke Kelly. Happy to be with you. Um, yeah, I, it, it's... You know, it's an interesting time. Um, right now, there is still decent momentum in the economy. And actually, from the labor market perspective, very strong momentum. And as you said, highlighted durable goods this morning, uh, showed a rebound. So business spending is still on track. Uh, even when you adjust for inflation, it looks quite solid. Um, but the risks do rise as we you know, end this year going into 2023. And that's really because some of this momentum that we see in the economy starts to ease. And at that time, we think the Fed, you know, which was mentioned uh, quite a bit with your previous guests, um, gets to a more restrictive policy stance. And, and maybe really the Fed does hold the key here, uh, as it many times does, for the economy and, and also clearly for the financial markets, but they get to restrictive policy, that becomes a bit more difficult to overcome um, for the economy. So we're not calling for a recession, and we certainly don't have the rate increases that, that Deutsche Bank is talking about. Um, you know, I think in that scenario, you'd have to see inflation, I think, accelerating much higher, and, and you just have to see a real protracted wage price spiral, which 
We don't see at this point. There's a risk. Um, but we, we do think at the, the very least the Fed is going to have to get restrictive. Right. Well, and that's why, you know, saying to Carter Worth, no one wants to hear a message that says, hey, stocks don't look like they're responding well to this. But would you frame the trade-offs as the Fed can be more hawkish now, maybe more market pain right now to kind of quell the inflation problem? Or we could potentially face a decade of market turbulence if everything you talk, you talk about with inflation comes to pass. Yeah, I think that's really what the Federal Reserve is looking at. You know, they're looking at it the prism of their mandate. So they're not specifically looking at equities as we would uh, as investors, but they're looking at, OK, we have a dual mandate, which is to promote full employment, but with, you know, stable prices. And right now prices are anything but stable. They don't want that, as you say, to to, to ebb into the medium to longer term view. So, you know, stamping on the brakes now maybe what they need to do, even if it risks a recession, to make sure that we don't get inflation expectations and wage um, uh, expectations rising to a point where it's much tougher to wring that out of the, the system, right? Once it gets embedded to the business and consumer psyche and, and actual wages, much more difficult than just waiting for supply chains to resolve themselves. Right, which was that glimmer of good news from Sherwin-Williams this morning that it is seeing that take place. So bottom line, has anything that's happened conspired to make you think that maybe the Fed only does 25 next month? Not at this point. I mean, they, they've really lined it up and, and telegraphed that they're going to go 50 basis points. And the data suggests that uh, as well. So I think at this point, is the bet is 50 basis points for May, 50 basis points for June. We're not quite ready to say another 25 base, you know, 50 basis points after that. But that's the risk. The risk is they do more, not less. And the risk is economic growth is slower, not higher. Yeah, and more and more traders are focusing on those M2 uh, aggregates and and just pointing out we've gone from 27% year on year growth in M2 early last year now to just about 10% and as that liquidity tide keeps receding it, it really is a headwind here and uh, we haven't even talked about their plans uh, for quantitative tightening Kathy we'll leave it there I hope to get you back soon my pleasure thanks Kelly and Kathy Busjancic joining me from Oxford Economics and we have a news alert on the COVID front Meg Terrell here with the details Meg Hey, Kelly. Well, the CDC just holding a call on some new data looking at how many people have been infected with the coronavirus. Uh, but first, really giving just a picture of where we stand with the trajectory of the pandemic. As we know, cases have been rising nationally, uh, now up to about 44,000 uh, per day on the seven-day average. That's about 23% uh, increase week over week. Hospitalizations have also been rising nationally now for the second week in a row. In terms of admissions, now we're up about 7% week over week to more than 1,600 per day. Uh, and deaths, luckily, are still declining down 13% to more than 300 per day. Uh, the CDC director pointing out even the nature of the hospitalizations is different. We don't see so much severe disease uh, within those hospitalizations, which is good news. But of course, seeing hospitalizations rise is a metric that they are looking at very closely. Uh, they also note that this new sub-sub-variant of Omicron, known as BA2.12.1, uh, which is 25% more contagious, it's estimated, than even BA2, uh, now makes up about a third of cases being sequenced in the U.S. right now. And it really has a foothold, particularly around this region in the Northeast. But 
is expected to continue to gain as it is more transmissible than the previous version of Omicron, which was more transmissible than the other version of Omicron. Um, Kelly, the interesting epidemiological information just coming out from the CDC is that as of the end of February, uh, blood survey um, data suggests about 58% of Americans had been infected with the coronavirus. This does not include antibodies from vaccination, only from infection. And that number is much higher in kids than it is in older people. About 75% of kids under the age of 11, and the figure is similar for teenagers as well, uh, are thought to have been infected uh, compared with 33% for people over 65. The CDC pointing out uh, those numbers are essentially inversely proportional with vaccination rates. More older people are more highly vaccinated, Kelly. So kind of an interesting picture of where we've been with the Omicron wave. Is the, is the conclusion basically that the U.S., while it's struggling with yet another outbreak, has reached some kind or some level of herd immunity? There is such a temptation to conclude that from this, and the CDC was just saying we cannot conclude from previous infection that we have reached a kind of herd immunity level or that we should assume that this provides strong protection against future infection and severe disease. Of course, they're emphasizing it's important to get vaccinated even if you've been infected, uh, but they do say this shows a picture of just how broad that wave was. And of course, the combined immunity that we see in the population, they think does have an impact on having less severe waves, hopefully going forward. Very interesting. Meg, thank you for bringing that to us, our Meg Terrell. Still ahead, it's one of the disasters du jour. Shares of GE are down double digits and on pace for their worst day since the pandemic first broke out in March 2020. This is despite an earnings beat. We'll look at why the stock is heading lower next. Plus, three more names on deck with earnings, and all three have zero sell ratings on the street. Alphabet, Microsoft, and Visa are after the bell today. We have the key things to watch for each of them. And as we head to break, here's a quick check on your markets. The Dow is near session as at session lows, really, down 591 points. And it's the outperformer. The NASDAQ is down more than 400 points. It's below 13,000. It's down more than 3%. Stay with us. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back. General Electric shares are one of the worst performers on this rough market day. They're down almost 12% right now after supply chain issues crushed the stock. Let's bring in Seema Modi for more. Seema? Kelly, a fresh 52-week low. Supply chain, inflation, the ongoing war. There really isn't one macro challenge that is not affecting General Electric, and that is reflected in shares today. Short-cycle businesses like healthcare, CEO Larry Culp says they can move price a bit more to compensate for inflation, but for longer-term businesses like renewables, contracts 
forecast for wind turbines, it becomes more challenging. Renewable is where GE is really feeling the pain. Culp says that's partly due to the administration not rolling out the subsidies needed to make wind energy more competitive. Listen in. With respect to renewables, clearly our play is primarily in wind, both on and offshore. And certainly, particularly here in the U.S., we're in a soft spot in the, in the U.S. market, and that hurts because we lead here. But if we can have Congress implement the tax incentives and other regulations to provide certainty with respect to the landscape, and in turn, customers can see how pricing is going to play out in this inflationary environment, I think we can get wind back on a better trajectory. So challenges on the wind and renewable energy front, but one major bright spot is aviation, which Kelp says will remain strong. He saw revenue rise 12%. He sees flight departures reaching 90% by 2019 levels uh, by the end of this year. So that's good news for its leap engine. Order book is also up uh, double digits. And this is another chance to check in on China and what they have to say there between the demand and the supply side of the story. I asked Culp about the situation in China. He said within aviation, that is the only market where they're actually seeing some pain. However, he did say it had some um, rather optimistic comments around productivity. He does have workers returning to work in China. Shanghai, he says the situation is improving, but longer term, it still remains a big struggle. I think that's why it's harder for the uh, for Wall Street to price the stock, right? You have Citigroup with a $125 price target, but JP Morgan with a $55 price target, right? So divided as to where the stock goes, highly correlated to the global economy. And with these cross currents really in play, it's hard to understand where the story goes. Absolutely. Tough day for the, not like they gave us any more clarity that we were seeking right now, maybe. So it's one conclusion to draw. Seema, thank you very much, Arsima Modi. Let's turn now to the Dow Transports. You heard Carter Worth mention this. Uh, they're falling 2.5% today after some earnings reports of their own. This index is down more than 11% from its 52-week highs. Frank Holland has more details. Frank? Hey there, Kelly. As you mentioned, Dow Transport's down 2%, slightly lower than the broader market, the S&P. But now we're kind of seeing the concerns over a freight recession. They may be overblown, but transports, they still face a lot of macro pressure. Chief right now, the lockdowns at Shanghai, the world's largest container port, those are expected to hit imports and freight volumes here in the U.S. Of course, inflation continuing another factor. And even the potential of those headlines of potential nuclear war seen as a real headwind for consumer demand, which hits freight. Partly why analysts are saying you're seeing UPS down today, despite a pretty strong earnings report, FedEx trading lower on sympathy. But other port movers like Union Pacific and J.B. Hunt not really hit quite as hard. That is largely because... Those delays that we're talking about in Shanghai, which are a big deal, they're expected to eventually lead to a surge in exports to the U.S. and other nations, in addition to higher rates for container shipping, which benefits Union Pacific. That's the largest operator at the port of Long Beach and L.A. And also Maersk, that's the largest operator of container shipping over the ocean. You see those container shipping companies actually trading higher today. Now, when you look at trucking names, especially here in the U.S., they've been under a lot of pressure as rates, they've turned pretty much flat year over year after being more than 80% higher just at the start of February. How those Shanghai port disruptions will impact rates and demand, it really remains unclear. Rates, they actually generally rise in the early summer as produce and vegetables begin to move around the country. But that's just really a wait and see. And you can see trucking names continue to be under pressure. Yeah, and again, not giving people a lot of solace here. Uh, Frank, thanks so much, Frank Holland. Coming up, home builder DR Horton delivering an earnings beat, but there was a red flag. We'll tell you what it is and what it says about where the housing market could be headed. 
Plus, one analyst says the secret to success for Peloton is spinning off its bike business. She joins us ahead to make her case. Peloton down 6.5% today, by the way, and it's more than 80% off its 52-week highs. As we head to break, here's the latest snapshot. It's the Dow heat map with the index at session lows down more than 600 points. There is only one name in the green, Chevron, hanging on to a very slight gain. We're back in a moment. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Markets are fading right here into the afternoon. Uh, S&P 500 a moment ago was below 4,200 with a decline of almost 100 points or 2%. The Dow's down 635 and the Nasdaq is down 420 points, 419. There it is, 420, a 3.2% decline for the NASDAQ, by far the hardest hit today. And if you look at consumer discretionary, that is easily the worst performing sector. Consumer discretionary down more than 4%, tech down almost 3%, energy still green up 1.5%. As oil and everything going on is jumping back above 100 a barrel. Remember, Friday oil sold off when the market was weak. Today it's moving higher. Could be uh, something to do with Russia cutting off gas supplies to Poland. That's a story we are certainly watching this hour. Some of the other movers include Tesla, which is one of the worst performers in the market today. Could it be a key to what's going on here? It's certainly not helping. It's down 11 percent to under $900 billion in market cap right now. 886 is the print here for Tesla after Elon Musk, of course, uh, triggering some concerns. He may be spreading himself too thin with his takeover of Twitter, whose own shares, by the way, are also down today. Now, Chipotle falling as well, and it reports this afternoon you've got concerns about consumer spending and food inflation. All of the restaurants are trading pretty poorly today. Chipotle down 5 percent today and actually down 17 percent this year. And also the chip stocks. You heard Carter Worth mention this off the top. They keep lagging. They are the worst performers again today with declines of about 5 percent for AMD, a little bit less than that for NVIDIA. One stock that is moving higher, Sherwin-Williams, but also waste management. Could be a recession-proof business. People love names like this in a market like this. WM stock up 5.5% after its revenue beat expectations, and its renewables business is doing well because market prices for recycled commodities are going up. The stock is also up 23% this year, so there's some green for your screen. Let's get to Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News update. Ty. And finally, some green on the screen. Kelly, thanks. Here's what's happening at this hour. The Supreme Court heard two hours of arguments on the so-called remain in Mexico immigration policy and whether the Biden administration can drop it. 
Chief Justice Roberts' questions appeared critical of claims made by lawyers for both the White House and the state of Texas. President Biden announced his first three pardons today. He gave clemency to a Kennedy-era Secret Service agent convicted of bribery and two people found guilty on drug charges who went on to become pillars in their community. International atomic energy regulators have found high radiation levels at the Chernobyl nuclear plant in the wake of its occupation by Russian troops who dug trenches in the area. The inspectors visited the facility today. It, of course, is in Ukraine. It is the 36th anniversary of the Chernobyl disaster. In Poland, natural gas deliveries from Russia have been halted. This according to reports in Polish media. Uh, earlier today, Poland imposed sanctions on 50 Russian oligarchs and companies. On the news with Shep Smith tonight, how U.S. intelligence has helped Ukraine protect its airspace. That is tonight at 7 Eastern. Kelly, see you in a little bit. All right, Tyler, thanks so much. We'll see you soon. Still ahead, two big tech names are on deck with their earnings. Can Alphabet and Microsoft turn things around for the sector? We'll look at what they need to do to win over Wall Street with the stocks under pressure. Visa as well. How much of an impact will the Ukraine-Russia war have? We tackle all three names in earnings exchange right after this. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. The busiest week of earnings continues with 50% of the S&P's market cap reporting in the next couple of days. So we've got the action, the story, and the trade on three key names reporting today, none of them which have any sell ratings on Wall Street. We'll see if that changes. Let's start with Alphabet. The stock is down 17% this year and having its worst month since, get this, January of 2010. And it has traded higher following each of its last four reports. Deirdre Bosa has the story on Alphabet today. And Nancy Tangler has our trades. She is CEO and CIO of Laffer Tangler Investments. Welcome back, Nancy. And Deirdre, what are we watching tonight? Well, the whole digital media ad space has been under pressure from the factors that we're talking about for a lot of companies, earnings, inflation, the war in Ukraine, this very uncertain macro environment. However, Alphabet, Google Parent, is seen as the most insulated from these forces, so it should fare well. All that is to say that maybe this is the best house in a bad neighborhood. It also has really tough comps from last year. So this, of course, is also a barometer for the entire ad space because it still drives so much of its business from that. So investors are going to really want to see how it's faring. Also on the cloud side, still makes up a small part of a smaller part of its business. It's a number three player and by a long shot after Amazon and Microsoft. But what investors are looking for here is that continued strong growth and narrowing losses. We know that Ruth Porat and the team there, the CFO, is going to keep investing in cloud. Um, but the question is, can they also sort of narrow the losses? So a number of different things we're looking for, Kelly. Um, but Alphabet is going to have to show that it's insulated, more insulated at least, from some of these forces than other ad companies. And Nancy, it'll be interesting to watch if a company who everyone agrees has bright long-term prospects can avoid the kind of pandemic hangover effect, right? I mean, the stock has traded poorly and we all know cloud is probably going to slow. And, you know, it's just a question of what else they tell us at this point. Yeah, that's right, Kelly. Last quarter, they had a great quarter. The stock rallied and it just couldn't hold it. And so I think a couple of things. Uh, cloud has been growing at a, at a rapid pace, but it's only 5.7 billion of revenues. Uh, advertising is 57 billion or 56 billion. And so you really need a lot to uh, a lot of growth to offset any potential decline in advertising. The one interesting and encouraging thing, I think, is that the backlog they reported last quarter was up 70 percent 
percent in the cloud, uh, and that was equal to about 51 billion in backlog revenues that that will come down the pike. So I think there is good news, but they've told us capex is going to go up. Free cash flow is 60 billion dollars after capex. So the question will be: Are they ever going to initiate a dividend? Are they going to continue to buy back shares? So I think you want to watch this and watch guidance on margins because that's going to be important as well. Yeah, and like we said, you know, watching. Uh, stock splits, you know, watching uh, for all sorts of different moves that could be underway here. 54 buys and no sells on the street for this name, which still only trades at 20 times forward earnings. So the fact that it's having its worst m- uh, month in over a decade is quite remarkable. Let's move on and talk uh, sort of a similar situation, which is Microsoft, which is also down about 20 percent to start the year. Tonight, it's still about cloud, Azure, the growth story. Uh, It's on pace for its worst month in about seven years. Our Steve Kovac has more of the story on this one. Steve, what will you be watching? Yeah, I hope you're not uh, tired of talking about cloud, Kelly, because that is exactly (laughs) what uh, we're going to be watching for. Uh, Last quarter, the Azure cloud business, it grew 46%. Now, that sounds very impressive, but it dipped below that 50% uh, year-over-year growth rate for the first time in a while. So we're going to be watching that. What is the number? What? How fast is uh, Azure growing? And just keep in mind, as we're talking about Google, we have, as far as market share goes, you have AWS, Amazon's cloud, at the, as the market leader, followed by Microsoft, and then the distant third, Google, which we were just talking about. On top of cloud, Office, Office 365 subscriptions. They just started charging more for Office subscriptions, and that's going to reflect in the final month of the quarter we're about to get. And looking forward, as they're struggling to uh, you know, get that last 20% or so of those Office customers who haven't moved over to the Office 365 subscription program, uh, they're really finding new ways to lock people in uh, to annual rates. So what they're going to do is customers who uh, this summer are paying month by month for Office, they're going to actually kind of encourage them to go annually uh, or else get a 20% price increase. So that's how they combat that, those uh, slowing growth numbers. Wow. All right, Nancy, maybe that could be a catalyst here. You like Google. You love Microsoft. I mean, I'm going to ask you kind of an obvious question. Why have the stocks done so poorly? In other words, if everything seems to be going right about these stories and everyone on Wall Street agrees, and the, then why do they still act broken? Well, um, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were trading at lofty multiples for sure. And the fact that most investors are equating rising interest rates with a, a bad tech trade. The historical data does not support that. It's really companies that don't have earnings. These are going to be the companies that provide the solution, right? I mean, they they are uh, improving productivity. Productivity is going to be an offset uh, to labor shortage. So I think you want to view volatility as your friend in these two names. I mean, with with Google trading, growing earnings at 20%, and trading at a 20 multiple, that's going to be hard to find as the PMIs roll over and earnings decelerate. The same for Microsoft, a little more lofty valuation at 28 times and, t- and mid to high team growth. But you're in all the sweet spots of technology, you know, not just gaming and cloud, but also offices and LinkedIn. And they have this robust cybersecurity business that on its own is $15 billion a year in revenues. And we think cybersecurity is one of the sweet spots in technology. So Take, take your time because this market is um, testy and I think it's probably going to move um, very volatilely for the next few weeks. But, uh, you know, use some options like we do in our portfolios and, and pick away at these things as they get hit. All right. All right. I have so many toddler analogies I want to make, but I won't. I'll move on to Visa, which will be vying for attention this afternoon. The stock down 6% this year. Dom Chu is standing by with more of what to watch for. Dom? 
So, Kelly, it's the most valuable fintech company in the entire S&P 500, especially given the big downside we've seen in other names like PayPal, for one. It's also, of course, a Dow component, the eighth biggest weighting in the blue chip index. So expectations are for Visa to report a buck 65 in earnings per share, revenues of six point eight billion dollars or thereabouts of particular interest to investors will be any kind of indication Visa will provide in painting that more detailed picture of the consumer health picture Visa and, of course, competitor MasterCard viewed by some as the best indicators of consumer health because of all the data they get on all of our credit card transactions. Now, as for that trading action and what to expect, Kelly, Nancy, over the last eight quarters, Visa shares have been split 50-50 for gains or losses on the day after reporting. The average absolute move during that span, 3.5% on those days. But the options market is currently pricing in what could be a 5-plus percent move in those shares after this report. So, guys, the expectation is for a more volatile move than recent history would suggest. Kel, back over to you. And I don't think, thank you, Dom, Nancy, that this one is going to have your attention unless there's a, I mean, I don't want to say a big move to the downside. Then that might change things completely. Well, yeah, Kelly, last week we talked about American Express, which is I described as our favorite reopening trade. Um, if you think about these two stocks, I mean, if, Visa is uh, to American Express what Home Depot is to Lowe's. So you've got the industry dominant player that trades at a, at a much higher valuation. And then you've got American Express, the Lowe's, who got new management, cleaning up the business. It's easier for the B minus player to outperform the A player in that environment. I think there's two things to watch uh, in, coming, in coming quarters with Visa. The valuation is still pretty lofty, even though it's dramatically underperformed uh, American Express and the market of, over the trailing one year. But the company is exposed to Russia, 4% of revenues. That will disappear by the third quarter. 1% in Ukraine. And then in addition to that, they nobody's talking about this, but the, the Durban 2.0 debit rule um, would, would lower earnings for this particular company in uh, Visa in particular. And that's about a 2 per, to 3% headwind to revenue. So we want to watch all those things, look for guidance. But we got great read through on the JP Morgan yeah. uh, card numbers last, last uh, week. So I think there's a lot that could go right, but I wouldn't jump in. All right. You're not ready yet. Not ready yet to take the plunge. Nancy, thanks as always, especially on a day like this. Our Dom Chu, thank you as well. Dom and Nancy Tangler. Coming up, home prices jump 20 percent. Mortgage rates spike. New home sales drop. And D.R. Horton warns of lower orders and higher costs. We've got the latest on the housing market. Plus, should Peloton spin off its bike business? One analyst says, yes, it may be one of the few options the company has. The shares are down six and a half percent. She makes her case next. Welcome back. A slew of housing data out this morning, including earnings from the nation's largest home builder, whose shares are down half a percent right now. Frankly, they're outperforming the market, Diana. Store blends. Yeah, they are. But look, Dr. Horton beat the street's expectations, but there was a red flag. New orders dropped 10 percent and the company lowered its order guidance. And that's likely to the big spike in mortgage rates recently. On the analyst call, CEO David Ald tempered it, saying through this cycle, yes, we've had people who don't qualify anymore, that is for a mortgage, but the demand side is still strong. Now, a new report on sales of newly built homes, though, in March showed a nearly 13% drop from a year ago. Also, the supply of new homes for sale rose. 
Prices, however, remain strong, up 21% from a year ago. DR Horton also reported that while its costs are going up, its pricing power remains strong. So when will all these weaker, weaker sales hit prices? Well, the latest S&P Case-Shiller report, that's for existing homes, showed prices up nearly 20% in February from a year ago, and the annual gains just keep climbing. But S&P's managing director, Craig Lazara, said the macroeconomic environment is evolving rapidly and may not support extraordinary home price growth for much longer. We may soon begin to see the impact of increasing mortgage rates. So the severe shortage of homes for sale, it continues to be the wild card. It's keeping pressure on prices. But we did get a report from Redfin today saying buyer competition is cooling with bidding wars dropping for the first time in six months. Imagine that, Kelly. Imagine that, Diana. Thank you very much, Diana <laughs> Olek. Let's shift to the consumer. Both retail ETFs are falling today as concerns about inflation continue and the potential for buyers to be eventually tapped out. On that note, let's bring in Anisha Sherman. She's senior analyst for apparel and specialty retail at Bernstein. Anisha, it's great to have you here. Before we get specific, let's just talk general here. The retail stocks have all been under a ton of pressure from their 52-week highs. Who do you, what do you think they're telling us? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of noise in the market, especially in the last couple of weeks with news of China, the situation worsening. Um, in North America, there are a lot of questions about what this quarter holds in particular, because this is the quarter that we lacked stimulus. This is the quarter that inflation took off. Um, and so there is th that is a big uncertainty in North America. I think the concerns are overdone. I think the underlying consumer health remains strong. We entered the year in a strong position um, and I think as we go through this month of earnings, we'll see North America outperform the bearish expectations. The same cannot be said for China, which I think is the other reason we've seen underperformance in the last few weeks. Sure. But I, I like how you said this is the corner that we lapped stimulus and we, you know, inflation really took off. I mean, what more do you need to know? Gap's reaction also was pretty dismal. Are there any stocks you think people should be buying here because they're unfairly uh, getting kicked to the curb? I think generally there are some really long-term growth stories that are being um, that are being undervalued at the moment, just on short-term concerns. So Nike is a good example. Um, but this quarter is going to be it, the, the current quarter, which is going to be reported over the next few months, is going to be quite bearish outlook for across the board. Um, and and no one is spared from that, even Nike. Well, and maybe some companies have to resort to extremes. I mean, you think Peloton should literally spin off its bike business as that stock struggles to turn around. Explain the thought process. Yeah, so, so look, Peloton is already cutting prices on the hardware and raising prices on the subscriptions. And we think that's the right move because the hardware is not what differentiates Peloton. It's the content, it's the platform, it's the experience. And that is where they are unparalleled. Um, and raising the subscription price, I think they can continue to be competitive. Cutting the hardware price gives them a lower barrier to entry for new customers and expands their TAM. And that is really where the bears are looking and saying, what is the TAM for connected fitness? So I think if we take that to its natural conclusion, I think they could actually stop producing hardware, partner with a company, spin off the hardware unit, and focus on subscriptions where they can truly differentiate, they can gain much faster TAM access, lock in a larger number of households to its platform yeah. and continue to succeed as the market leader. Well, it has been a crazy week for former growth stories. So I think at this point we can't rule anything out, whether for Twitter, uh, for Peloton or anybody else. Anisha, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it.
Thank you. Anisha Sherman with Bernstein. Still ahead, Treasury yields are falling, but so are tech stocks. Good earnings from Staples aren't lifting those names, and materials, a one-time leader, they're cracking. Should investors be worried about this rotation? We're back in a moment. Welcome back to another big sell-off today. Tech and consumer discretionary getting hit the hardest. And while energy stocks are higher, we're not seeing the rotation across the markets we might have expected. What does it mean? Let's bring in Bob Bassani now with more. Bob? It is a bad sign, Kelly. A 100-point move up intraday yesterday, the S&P. A 100-point move down today. No follow-through at all. This is now becoming commonplace. We've had two big rallies in the last month, only to fizzle out in a few days. Bears insist that these are what they call bear market rallies, meaning short uptrends in an otherwise declining market. The prior market leaders, energy stocks and metals and mining stocks like Halliburton and Freeport McMoran and Nucor, remember them? They were at or near new highs just a week ago. But the combination of slowing growth and a China COVID lockdown has caused a sudden drop in those market leaders. They're now down double digits in just a week. Though energy, as Kelly mentioned, is bouncing a bit today. But there's no rotation. That's the problem. Beaten up tech stocks had a modest but unconvincing rally yesterday. Look at them. They're getting clobbered again today ahead of Microsoft earnings. And investors have recently stopped buying defensive names like consumer staples and healthcare, another low volatility, high dividend paying stocks. By the way, speaking of low volatility, the darling for those seeking to hide in the defensive names this year, the Invesco low volatility high dividend ETF. They own names like Altria and Kraft Heinz and Philip Morris. Everybody wanted this. It's been down four days in a row after hitting an historic high last week. The result of all this, the S&P is only about 40 points from the Marth March 8th low of 41.71. A break below that, Kelly, will solidify the belief we're in a bear market. In a bear market, rotation is not nearly as effective because everything goes down. So, Kelly, Coca-Cola might not might go down less than Microsoft, but in a bear market, it still goes down. And Coke is down today despite that great earnings report. Kelly? And a good reminder, Bob, as much as we're watching 4,200, 41.71 is a, more of a key technical level, right. as you mentioned. Thank you for our Bob Bassani. That does it for The Exchange today, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.